welcome to another episode of Consider This, I think. This is really a, something that I wanted to do because it's an assignment I have for my class. Um, but if it's valuable, it will be a Consider This. So we'll let Steve make a call. So essentially, if you're hearing this, it's valuable. <laughs> yes. If you're not hearing this... Hello, Trinity. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Dr. <laughs> like, Thyberg. If you're not here, like, how... Okay. Believe it no, or not, it, that was it. the smoothest way this could have possibly started. <laughs> so if this doesn't go well, Ryan will be writing a two-page commentary yes. on the Shema. Okay. So uh, what, what we're going to talk about today is this very, very important passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and um, how it relates to faith formation both in the home, so that's why I have this man right here, this man right here, this man right here, but also in the ministries of the church. That's why I have all these people. So um, let's go around. I got, I've got Zane Sutherland, children's minister extraordinaire, um, executive pastor of the gym right now. And then I have Justin Ebert, youth minister extraordinaire, recently started a program at Midwestern to try to impress us all. That's not why. But anyway. Mostly my wife. I'm still trying to impress her. <laughs> It's not working. <laughs> <laughs> and then James Johnson, lead minister of Sunnybrook Christian Church. Um, so Deuteronomy 6. Justin, you have the nicest Bible here. Do you want to read for us? Uh, let's go, what do you think, verses 4 through 9? I would love to. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign to your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. This is the word of the Lord, Ryan. Mm, thanks be to God. Um, so, Jim, put this passage in its, its context. What, yeah. Where is this happening in the whole biblical narrative and, and what is... Uh, Moses, we believe the author, communicating here. Yep. So you have, um, if you're trying to look at where you're coming into this, you're coming into the uh, the time in which Israel is about into, to enter into the land. Um, and so you've gone through uh, roughly 40 years of uh, faithless living, of not being obedient to the covenant that they swore at Mount Sinai that they would be faithful to. Um, so this ongoing repetitive cycle and struggle. Um, there are two chapters in uh, the Bible that contain the Decalogue or somewhat of a symbolic representation of the law, um, kind of <clears throat> going down to the top 10 commandments, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and so that's found actually in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So right before this. Right before this. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy itself is a uh, second reading of the law. And so the people are kind of re covenanting themselves the to a faithful God. So the God second is, generation. Yeah, the second, second generation is. So this is a it's, it's kind of the retelling of the law to the generation that is about to enter into the land because a generation has abandoned it and therefore died in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And so they're hearing it. Um, and so there is like you know some great passages. Just read Psalm nine one nineteen, and you really get a sense of the value and the importance of the law and hearing the law and responding to the law and binding it on your heart, head, hands, body, family. Um, just kind of the value of the statues and the ordinances and the commands that God is giving to us. 
Um, you have the idea that the the law itself brings life. Mm-hmm. And so we have kind of an anti-law mentality, but when you look at the totality of what they mean by it, it truly is It is from God. It is meant for our benefit. It is meant for our uh, societal good. It has those mm-hmm. components to it. Um, and so the law is, in fact, uh, revelation from God to us about what the stipulations from the covenant are. And so after walking through the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, then you have this section in Deuteronomy 6 where it's, listen, you know, Shema, hear, O Israel. Uh, and, and the Lord there, as we would look in our Bibles, is always is so, is straight caps, which means it's Yahweh's name, which when you see that, it's just good to remember that it's his covenantal name. Mm-hmm. So that would, would remind us of the covenant. So there are key words like that just come out of the, the, the Hebrew text that scream of covenant and covenant reminder and covenant faithfulness. And it seems like at the very core of it um, that there is this responsiveness uh, from Israel and um, at the very core of it that we respond as individuals slash families right. to the covenantal faithfulness of God. And so he, we're being called to, to do that. So, Justin, then what would, what would it look like? What, what is he actually telling them to do and... You know, you've got a, a symbolic representation here on the table of, of part of this. But what if I if I if you're an ancient Israelite in the 15th century BC, um, you hear this and your response is to do what? I mean, at the core of it, it is a this is who we are, and so you are to first and foremost, based on this God who's revealed Himself to you, who's chosen you, who's delivered you, who's given you this this law. Um, you are to now live in response to that. You're to to love this being with all that you are, and that's why we see the uh, love the Lord with all of your heart with all of your mind with all or no no mind here there's no, no mind. mind well we'll talk about yeah, that probably yeah, here in yeah, a minute yeah, that's the new testament um the word here is lavav which is heart which is this idea in the jewish mindset was the the heart is the seat of all your thoughts and emotions They're, they didn't really have the yeah, mind kind of the volitional yeah, center yeah so that you had the heart you had your your strength with all your soul, yourself. So um, that's how you're supposed to do it. And then naturally, if you're going to love this this God, Yahweh God, our God, that's the Yahweh name, is the the Elohim we serve is Yahweh. The God that we serve is Yahweh. And I like we, that. The Elohim we serve is Yahweh. Right. Yeah. Elohim is a general name for God or gods. And so it's kind of um, his special name revel- revealing himself to the people. Yes, of because yeah. actually, as much as we say Judaism is a monotheistic religion, if you look closely at the Old Testament text, they kind of, for the most part, still believe there were other Elohims out there. And there were other beings out there that were they considered to be Elohim. Yeah, and but they so, weren't as supreme as Yahweh. No, Yahweh was the supreme being. He was the God of above all gods, um, and he is the only one where they were to serve. And so that means you are to talk about this God, to talk about what he said in every aspect of your life. And so it really did. It, it was supposed to be their defining part of who they are and how they lived on a daily basis. And so... Yeah, this thing that Ryan mentioned, they wouldn't have had when Moses was talking to them as they were carrying their tents. But um, later on, when they were established in Jerusalem, this mezuzah, they would literally put this on a doorpost, yep. and so they would it would have tell us what it, is. it would have the text of the Great Shema written in it, 
and it would be on their doorpost. Mm -hmm. And then they would have things, um, they would have symbols on their foreheads and they would tie things to their hands. They took it fairly literally, even if they didn't follow it Literally, or sure, spiritually. Yeah. Sure. So that's and why so, when you go to certain Jewish communities, especially Jerusalem today, and you see very traditional um, Jewish adherents, they'll have what are called phylacteries, little mm-hmm. compartments on their foreheads. They'll have um, straps of, I'm, I'm assuming it's leather, you yep. know, yep. binding their arms. And so they are, this is absolutely essential to their identity, which, is, which makes it a really fun question, because this is connected very much so to the entrance into the land and the conquest by Joshua and Caleb and God's provision of a place to, to, for, for his people, for the nation. We don't live there. We follow the same God through the revelation of Jesus Christ, but we're, our, our faith is not connected to a physical land, a physical inheritance like that, and yet we still find this passage really important to our faith. Why? How do we, how do we set aside some of the the historical and cultural um, contextual items in this text. I mean, if you look at um, back up, we didn't read it, but in the beginning of chapter 6, so this is the command, the statute and ordinance, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Um, and then, I mean, that's, a, that's a, a, a refrain throughout the book of Deuteronomy is instructions given and then qualified so that you may live long in the land. How do we make the jump here? Well, let me let me show you something real quick. I mean, I just I, I came across this um, when Solomon actually um, when Solomon is actually talking to God, and or God is talking to Solomon, and he is describing what uh, he wants. He basically says, "Hey, do you want what 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 kind of blessing? Ask for anything, and I will actually give it to you." It's interesting that God even says, "Hey, because you've asked for all these, because you've asked for the right thing." I will take care of you. But listen to what he says in verse 14. This is actually in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 14. I read this this morning in our Bible study. And then he says this, And if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my command, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Hmm. And so all of what he promised Solomon, I'll give you protection from your enemies. I'll give you all of these things because you asked for the right thing, discernment. I'll give you discernment. I'm going to give you all these other things. And then he goes back to the Shema. Yeah. Right? And he basically says, which is actually in one of the commandments, obey your father and your mother so that you might live long in the land. Yeah. Um, Obey my law so that you might live long. And so the promise of long life and the promise of long life in the land in particularly is tied even for the king himself. (laughs) Yeah. To adherence to the Shema. Yeah. And I, I think that's really kind of an interesting thing that I just stumbled upon in our Bible study this morning. And what's a what's another big reason that this still matters for us is this this is one of those things that is affirmed by Jesus in the New Testament. Yes. He takes away yes. the qualification of so that you may live long in the land, and Jesus is going to um, establish a kingdom that has a very different kind of inheritance other than this beautiful narrow strip in the Middle East. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I, I don't buy the idea that the Ten Commandments are something we can set aside because they are um, part of an old covenant and we are, we are enveloped in the new, but it's because they're, they're affirmed in the new covenant in the person and work and ministry and preaching of Jesus Christ. So you get, um, you have this, this beautiful um, life that is set up for the people of Israel that Jesus then takes and says, and, and, and you as well, right? Now, we look at this, and um, 
we consider this an important passage for our family ministry. So Zane, maybe walk us through some of the the uh, philosophy that undergirds our family discipleship strategies and ministries here at Sunnybrook, especially as it relates to um, not Zane and Beth ministers at Sunnybrook, but Zane and Beth mom and dad with Elias and, uh, and with, what's your daughter's name? Inslee. Inslee. I have a niece named Elena, and I was about to confuse those two. Mm, okay. That would have been bad. So walk us through that. Yeah, so I think a little bit of kind of the question that you're going back to is why does this still matter for us today? And, you know, when you look at the context, again, of when this is being shared, it's the nation is going into a land that does not follow Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And so there's a distinctiveness to God's people to being different than those that are around them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that challenge is still the same challenge we face today that as, as followers of Jesus, there's a distinctiveness in, in our nature that when you look at our lives, when you look at how we raise kids, um, it is God and God alone. That is the core of our being and who we choose to be and how we choose to operate our life and everything. And so, um, I think that's that's the core of what we choose to do is we as we look at the family ministry, as we look at training parents and equipping kids to follow Christ, um, it, it, it all boils down to this yeah. idea that we are called to live differently than the world around us. And so our speech is different. Our thoughts are different. Our actions are different. All of that is different. And so instead of taking um, taking cues from the world around us on how we should live, uh, we come back to the truth and the reality of who God is and how he has called us to live and who he has called us to be um, ultimately for his glory, to make mm-hmm. much of him uh, on, in this world. And so that, that kind of has shaped, you know, the, the struggle that we feel here is, yeah. you know, as we're, we're raising kids and, you know, this, this modern culture is there's a lot of different truths that are being thrown around right now. Um, how do you how do you speak to that in a way that yep. makes sense? Yep. Um, it, it's not it's not my opinion on these things, but it is God's truth yeah. that He has spoken yeah. about human life and those different things. Sure. And so, um, it gives us more of a, a grounding um, in how we parent and how we teach and how we live. Um, that it's not it's not based on opinion or feeling or any of those things, but there is a reality and a truth that we have based everything mm-hmm. on. I, I love the way you kind of set that up. Um, I, I appreciate the we are exiles in a land that is not. I mean, mm-hmm. it really kind of holds to a very strong biblical model as to why we go back or we need a revelation from God to explain who we are and what things are about and how he has ordained things because I think that is critical. We, yeah. we are not in the promised land, and so we are aliens and strangers in a hostile environment and so we need the Word of God to kind of sustain us and support us. And so, you know, family is a safe place, but a family that is not devoted to God is then incredibly vulnerable right. to so many different things. So I love that. So connect kind of some of the abstract things that you're talking about to uh, to some of the practical ways that, that you help parents minister to kids. Because what I love about our children and youth ministries is obviously we minister to the kids and to the students. But, um, you know, if the ministry is, is kind of overseen by Drew Henderson, one of my favorite things that I hear him talk about all the time is that he considers the parents of any student he's working with one of his primary um, ministries or mission fields. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that our people will recognize that you're doing with... Justin and I both have kids in your ministry, Zane. Yeah. 
So though we might be difficult people for you to lead, um, we are nevertheless people that trust like your wisdom and your discernment, especially as it comes to faith formation in yep. children. Yep. What are some practical things that you ask parents to consider to, to live out this life that's, that's described here in Deuteronomy 6? Yeah, I mean, I, I love um, the idea that's, that's seen here and kind of the language of the family, which, again, you've heard me talk about a whole lot, but um, this idea that, you know, we... And as as language drives culture, um, and the way that we talk and what we choose to communicate, even with the the shows that we watch or the things that we put on walls and those different things, um, we are affirming something. Mm. Um, and so our, our our big ask of families is: Will you affirm Christ in everything that you do? And so, can the language of your life be that of Christ? Can it be yeah. gospel? Um, and so, you know, as we try and equip parents, the thing that we try and do is we try and make those conversations easier. And so, you know, it, it's, so, I, I just find it very funny that it's so easy for us to talk to our kids about sports or about school um, or about, you know, how they're hanging out with their friends or those types of things. And yet we can be so, so terrified of having gospel conversations with our families. And so, you know, I, I think when I try and learn a new language like Spanish or something at the beginning, it feels a little bit clumsy and yeah. awkward and weird, yeah. but the more that I do it and the more that it becomes just a part of my natural conversation, um, it's so much easier at that point. And so in the same way, um, we're, we're asking parents and we're trying to equip, right, at the same time. So ask and uh, invite and then challenge them to do it as well. Um, that, that this becomes just a natural part of your language, that mm -hmm. speaking gospel truth, that speaking the reality of who God is to their kids. I mean, it's just, and, and I had, I actually had this interaction yesterday with Elias as we're sitting on the trampoline, um, jumping up and down and stuff. We were talking about all these different things. His, his big thing right now is into the unknown from frozen Two. he loves singing that. But, um, I, I had him actually end up reciting based on what we talked about in our family service on Sunday, the fruit of the spirit. And so it's fun as, as he's sitting there just repeating the fruit of the spirit time and time again, um, and I noticed that that even changed the way that I put him to bed um, and some of, you know, this tension that we were having last night. And so in the same type of way, I mean, I think that's that's practically what it looks like yeah. is what you choose to talk about as you sit at the table, as you go to school, um, you know, is, is the gospel influencing um, and integrated into all of those different aspects of your life. And so, I mean, that that's that's our biggest goal is to help parents do that and do it well, feel comfortable with it. Um, and allow that to be kind yeah. of defining who they are. I, I really think that's why it's very important that as a church um, that we recognize that we're not in this alone. Mm -hmm. Andrea and I were talking to other parents that were ahead of the curve on us, and so we wanted to know, hey, what were you doing? How were you having gospel-type conversations? And we're learning about that. Um, we were figuring stuff, stuff out on our own. I mean, I came up, I, I, I had heard about just the power of key values that existed in a family. And so Andrew and I had a conversation. I was in grad school at the time. And we decided that uh, truth, respect, and obedience were going to be the three words we were going to teach our kids from a biblical context. Mm -hmm. This is what the truth is. This is what respect means and why it exists. And this is what obedience looks like. And so, and every time my kids would even make a mistake or make a, or, or sin in their lives, they were really little. And I would ask them, what did you violate, truth, respect, or obedience? And I would tie them back, and then what does God's word say about that? And I was kind of making that up as I went, because I read a Steve Covey book, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm kind of making it up as I go. And I remember one time they did something wrong, I don't know if they spilt milk or something like that, and I just, they were kind of in trouble, so to speak. 
And I said, so what did you do? And they're trying to figure it out. And they went, I don't, I don't, I didn't do anything. I didn't lie to you. I didn't disrespect you. I didn't disobey you. And I said, okay, so then it's not a problem. Like go clean up your milk and it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what mattered and what didn't matter. And so to constantly tie that back and to go back, I would say just listening to what Zane's describing, what he's doing with Elias and saying, Hey, by doing the fruit of the spirit, this is how I now put my kids to bed. I mean, there's so much wisdom that exists in terms of what Justin is doing right now and Zane and Beth are doing and Ryan and Rachel are doing or what Paul and Julie have done. You need to go out right now and find those people who are engaging their children at that level of gospel language and gospel conversation and learn. Yeah. <laughs> Literally learn and then mimic, echo, yeah. <laughs> kind yeah. of... Uh, follow some of their examples and suggestions. Um, your your family will be blessed. Well, and it's interesting how I think our people intuit the need to to reach out for help like that. After a, it, I've actually probably said this. There's Jim, sorry, <laughs> on the Twitter. <laughs> um, after a couple of messages I had preached, um, like confessional statements were were kind of something that I just I, they weren't even like the main part of it, but they were just illustrations that I was using in terms of discipleship and, and catechesis is kind of one of the words that we're, we're working with here. And I've had several parents reach out to me and ask, hey, how do you get, like, how do you help little kids memorize something like that? And it's yeah. been it's been fun to have those conversations, to send them songs that my kids like to listen to that have those, those really formative things in there. And it's, I mean, kids are brilliant. They can memorize anything. I mean, that's why Elias is two, what, years, two old. years old and can sing Frozen. So... Or the fruit of the frozen spirit two. now. Frozen two. I'm no, sorry. No, oh no. The fruit of the spirit two. now. Oh, you didn't say frozen two. I did, but the point was that he's singing the fruit of the spirit now. <laughs> no, but he also memorized frozen yes. two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so we, we've we've labored a little bit long on like what this looks like in the family context, which is appropriate. That's that's that really is the context here in Deuteronomy six. But yet, I believe this also shapes our ministries. Mm-hmm. So how do how do we look at something like Deuteronomy 6 and say, therefore, as we structure, say, discipleship ministries or even worship services, what, what in this text do we have in mind, if anything? Because I really do think that there's something here that we're we're trying to do at the at the corporate church level more so than the Zane and Beth House church level. Sure. Well, the text itself kind of gives us a framework for what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to uh, help them accomplish that they don't just come worship on Sunday morning and then leave that at the church door. This text actually is primarily about when you're at home Mm -hmm. through your own door. And so you you have the the command, repeat this regularly. So it's something you you talk about. It's something that you do first thing in the morning and last thing. As, as you go to and from, look for opportunities that are teachable moments. And you need to have intentional symbols throughout your home or throughout your life that remind you of who God is and what you've done. And so these are just, it's a practical framework to help us remember that what we do on Sunday has to be geared toward helping them live right. when they're not here, and it helps us actually train them of this. We don't know what your thing is going to be, what your your values are going to be, the phrase of your values are going to be. We don't know what curriculum or whatever you're going to use. We just know here's your framework, that it's <clears> got to <throat> be something you're regularly talking about in all facets of life. And so that helps us stay away from only theorizing about 
concepts and helping us really see the people in the pews and teaching toward true mm. discipleship and true um, living in a way that does honor God and, and shows a distinctiveness in our culture, in our context. I like the touchstone of this going back to the, you know, God is one. And that there's a lot, you know, we, we haven't even really unpacked no. <laughs> kind of the, the basis of the Shema, which yeah, is yeah. Yahweh. Yahweh is one. And there's a lot that's kind of in that concept. Mm-hmm. And then it says to love the Lord your God and it, with, you, with the totality of who you are and then do everything you, you can, like Justin just described, revolving around that reality that mm-hmm. truth, right? And then the rest of Deuteronomy kind of unpacks in many different ways, yeah. you know, kind of what that's going to look like and how that's going to work. But without that core, without that center, without that touchstone, then you kind of get lost with moralizing or principalizing ideas, which is what I think a lot of ministries can do. Mm. It's a little bit of the danger of going, you know, family matters. And we're a family first. I heard, I've heard a lot of people talk about, man, it's, I've always learned that it's family first. This text actually says <laughs> it's not, actually. Yeah. Like, yeah. family's not first. Yeah. Like, family is the gift of God that God has given us in order that he might be known and that he, uh, the truths about him might be propagated and, 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 and expanded and, and spent. So family has this incredibly powerful, wonderful place. But God is one, and we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And therefore, family, this is how you fit into the greatness of God's plan. And so I love how the this particular text draws us in to a core that is even deeper than family. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it really it really gets underneath kind of what what would sustain or what what could where, where did family come from? Like what? What? Right. Who? Who? Who was so good to design a family for Jim Johnson, and that is the oneness of of the goodness of God. Um, and so I love uh, that needs to remind us in ministry that truly, without it being a cliche, it is about God. It is about the totality of us loving Him and responding to Him, and then families become a very I, I would argue the natural place, right? Yeah, uh, the natural place, that the God designed place that that were uh, that, that is in terms of amount of hours and even in terms of the progression of my life, my mom and dad were the greatest foundational influence of my understanding of God and my obedience to God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So whether Zane and Beth want to admit it or not, um, with Ensley coming into the world, like she will be more influenced by them right now right, and over the next few years than anybody else, mm-hmm. you know? So One of the things that frustrates me a little bit about ministry is... It, it seems like people can easily discredit, like, oh, well, Justin, he he's a pastor, so of course he's going to kind of do this. Or yeah. Jim, Jim's a pastor, so, you know, we, we over here in the real world, we kind of function like this. So sure, you, and sometimes it's <laughs> like, man, I almost wish, like, I didn't work for the church and I yeah. could just show, yeah. I know this is actually how we're going to orient our life because they, the way people see it is, like, our legs are kind of cut out from under us. So when my son is asking honest questions, when he's recognizing, hey, there's something different about our decisions and their decisions, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and it's like, well, because this is who we are. This is what we believe. And yeah. someone else would recognize say that same thing as, well, that's just because Justin works at the church. Yeah. And I, I hate that. I really do. Yeah. I love working at the church, so there's yeah. literally nothing else I'd rather <laughs> do. But yeah. part of me would love to like stick it to like the reality <laughs> of, hey, I'll go whatever, mow lawns for the rest of my life, and yeah. I'll still lead a small group and teach as much as I can and have our family's orientation be centered on Jesus. And 
and these people kind of had a lot of it outside of the Levites who were set aside for that and the priests. Yeah. Everyone else was to orient their life around Jesus so they'd be distinct in the land out. Yeah, well, if you look at, we don't have time to go into it all, but if you look at even like Passover celebrations, the father was the priest of the home. Yeah. You didn't have to be a Levite to, to function as kind of God's representative to this group of people. And I think we could draw that out of Deuteronomy 6. That's a really important mm-hmm. component of what we're trying to do. And I'm not trying to say, therefore, mothers have nothing to do with it. I'm just saying that it's not Justin's profession as a pastor, though that comes with a host of advantages. <laughs> we, don't have, we, can't, we can't ignore that. Yeah. But it's more than just that, right? Um, I would encourage uh, you Sunnybrook people, assuming this makes the cut, um, to to find and almost hoard all these visible, tangible, visceral ways that you can live this out and keep this at your house. Um, Whether it's find a mezuzah, make a mezuzah, buy one in Jerusalem, as Justin has done. I mean, even a little thing. So last week I learned um, that there's this tradition in other necks of the church where at the beginning of each year they, um, they take a piece of chalk and they write a blessing over the door frame of the house. Very similar to this, and it's a Latin phrase with the year on it, but it, it effectively translates to Christ bless this house. And so I learned about that, and I thought, well, it's June. I missed January, but kids, go get your sidewalk chalk and come out front. Mm-hmm. And so we wrote the blessing over our doorframe. And I did that about a week ago, and every day my kids go out in the morning to see if the chalk is washed off, and they're really excited that it hasn't. That chalk is not magic, but it's given me a visible prayer every yeah, day for my kids great. to go, go that's deal great. with. That's great. That's um, great. But nevertheless, I think Justin strikes um, a very real chord here that this is difficult for a lot of our people. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, we all work with parents. Um, you guys probably work with the the implications of parents in the students more often than I do. But what are some of the reasons you think that it it we struggle with this? It's hard. <laughs> it is hard. I mean, you know, it's again, when you are going against the flow of culture and when everyone else is doing one thing to stand and to be different is a, it, it's a difficult thing. And so, um, when it's not natural, yeah, you know, when everyone else is doing something different, it, it's hard to kind of have that distinctive nature at times and to, to fight against, you know, a sinful desire in your kids and those types of things. And so it takes work. And sometimes I think we're just lazy <laughs> mm, yeah. is what it boils down to. Um, and so I, I think that that's a big challenge is that, you know, after coming home, after working all day and then having to deal with kids and stuff, it's that going above and beyond to make this, you know, a reality and stuff like that. And so often we want to just disengage when we get home. And yet those are the moments that really we should be yeah. working even harder. And so, I, you know, I think just the idea of it being work and, you know, even if we use the language motif again, to learn a new language and to, to do that well, I mean, it just takes time and effort and energy and all those things. And so I think one of the biggest is it just it's hard and it takes work. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't been modeled, right? Like, I mean, yeah. honestly, I do a lot of my parenting like I watched my dad. Um, and so I can default to, I've never seen that, therefore I never do it. Right. Um, and then something else happens, right? I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I watched a dad or a husband act a certain way, and I went, I want that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know where that came from, but I, 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 A, got a lot of what my dad gave me, and I'm really grateful for a lot of what my dad gave me. But my dad is a human and didn't do it perfectly, 
And so I'm grateful that I had something in me that wanted, uh, thank, I'll give thanks to God for it, that made me want to hear some of these stories and go, okay, like if I had young kids at home and you, I heard that story about the chalk, I was the kind of guy that went, okay, we're doing that. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that idea, the fruit of the spirit, okay, I'm taking that. Hey, what you just described, man, I want that. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are a lot of our, our, our people that just, I, I don't know if they're, I don't know what word to use. It's hard. But can I just say, like, there are a lot of us that are just kind of lazy yeah, with our parenting and our discipleship yeah. with our kids. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can say, well, yeah, but I'm tired and it's been a long day. I get it. I get it. Um, but it it matters more than you realize. Right. And we, we've got to hear those things or even invent those things. Um, and that's why I'm telling us the more conversations we have with one another and the more conversations around this table that we have with our people sitting down and asking, Hey, Zane, Beth, like, tell me what you're doing right now to make sure, um, that Ensley and Elias are faithfully growing in the Lord. I'm honestly, let's think about that. When was the last time we even had those conversations? I think we Mm -hmm. easily just assume they're happening and they may not be. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I'm learning a lot just from Mm -hmm. this podcast. I think um, it's just hard for a lot of with high school, junior high people, if they haven't been doing that, to then somehow yep. start like, oh, our kids, we yeah. realize our kids are making a lot of mistakes. We realize our, our kids aren't where we wish they were to somehow reverse 13 to 18 years of parenting where you haven't done anything. Well, and it feels disingenuous when yeah. you start. Oh, right? man, yeah. it does. And so that's that's really humbling and frustrating, and it's a little bit like, yeah, so at some point you have to just rip the Band-Aid off. No right? brakes, no point in steering. Right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, I think it's also just it's just really easy to prioritize everything else. Yeah, It's just so easy to say, yeah, well, of course our kid's going to do one or two or three sports at a time, and of course we're going to go to grandma's and take a few vacations and prioritize school, and then all of a sudden your schedule's full, and what gets pushed to the back burner? Well, God's always there. He'll always be there. And the church is always there. It's it's fine if we miss two or three or four Sundays this month. They'll be there next month. And it's like, just sure, that is all true. And now just hear about how you've chosen to think, now speak, and now choose to live your life mm-hmm. in a way that the thing that is prioritized most yep. is not the creator, the one who has power over your life now and forever. Yeah. And that's Hopefully a humbling thing, the weight of glory is yeah. that God has an opinion of you. Yeah. 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 I think I think what you said is another difficult thing about this is that sometimes this exposes that maybe our relationship with God isn't yes. where it needs to be. Yes. Yes. And that can be terrifying. And so right. to I mean, I love the idea that you you can only lead people to where you are. And so sometimes we have these kids and they expose actually in us a lack of a relationship with Christ. And that can be a terrifying reality to come to grips with. And yet, and so instead of, you know, doing it well, we push it on to somebody else. You know, it's like, okay, well, we'll send them to youth group. We'll send them to kids church and hopefully there they'll get it. And instead of bunkering down and doing the hard work of making sure that our hearts are transformed first and foremost by Christ. And then that flows into our family. We can Take the easy yeah, can way. can I just say real quick, like if your mentality is let's send them to Zane and let's send them to Justin or Drew or Morgan, whoever, as the primary means of our kids' spiritual growth, you've missed it. Yep. Yeah. We yeah. are a supplement. Yes. We are a training grounds. And you're you, not just for them, but for their families. Right. For we, their parents. We for are mom meant and dad. to be like a resource and a catalyst. Mm-hmm. You are the primary. Like 
I hope that's one of the big things you can take away. Like mom and dad, you are the primary disciplers. We are resources. We are helpers. We are encouragers. We are catalysts. But it is you. You is it is on you mainly. You know, I I'm, I'm doing a couple couple of weddings right now, and whenever I do the premarital counseling, I usually one of the last sessions I ask them. Um, I want you to imagine right now that your kids are walking into my office 25 years from now. They're graduating from Oklahoma State. They're getting married. I'm going to ask them the same questions I asked you about your parents. Tell me about their parents' marriage. And then I ask them, what do you want them to say about your marriage? Like, you haven't started it yet, but what do you want them to... Okay, think about that. But think about that in, in terms of uh, in, in, a, in a spiritual situation. Hey, Ryan, tell me about your mom and dad, and tell me about their spiritual journey and how they... Deuteronomy sixth you. Yeah. Right? Um, I could go back and I could think about what my parents did and what my parents did well and what my parents did not do well. My kids could do the same. Like, my kids are now out of the house, so they could do the same. For those of you that still have children at home, I want you to think. Imagine that Jim is about to talk to your kids. And we're, we're not trying to be mean or critical. We're just wanting to have an honest conversation. Tell me about how your mom and dad Deuteronomy sixth you. Yeah. What do you want them to say? Right, so let's let's be a little bit aspirational. What do you want Canyon to say to Jim when he asks him in ten years' time? Tell me how Justin and Debbie taught you the Shema and how to love the Lord your God with everything. What do you want them to say? Go do that. Like go be that. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit of what the admonition of the one who reads Deuteronomy six and follows it. They get that. Yeah. They really get that. Let's let's end on one of the most foundational things that may um, may be somewhat revelatory to our people. Um, a few years ago, probably 2017, 2018, I'm not sure when it came out, um, an author named James K.A. Smith came out with a book called You Are What You Love. And while we would say that there are resources and content that can help us do this, um, James Smith would say, in effect, you are going to do, you are going to passionately pursue that which you love the most. <laughs> and so on this question of faith formation in the home, whether that's in myself as a, as a 34-year-old adult or in my 7-year-old, 5-year-old, almost 1-year-old, what would you guys ask our people to foster a deep love for? Yahweh. I mean... Cheesy, but like, how how do you how do you grow in love with someone? Well, first you have a a some type of mind change or heart change where your affection is caught. Right. At some point, I didn't know Debbie, and then I met Debbie, and then after spending some time with her, I realized like, oh, I want to pursue this beyond a friendship or an acquaintanceship. Yeah. And now I'm realizing that my affection for her is such that I love her and want to spend the rest of my life with her, and that process meant lots of conversations, some hard, some fun, some difficult, some honest, some not good, (laughs) Um, and spent a lot of time with each other. Mm -hmm. So the way I grew in my love for Debbie were some things like conversing with her, spending time with her, kind of the basic principles, getting to know her at a deeper level beyond the surface. Yeah. So maybe uh, without being overly reductionistic, one area of one's life you could consider evaluating in light of Deuteronomy 6 is how rich is your prayer life. Mm. I don't know if you can Deuteronomy 6 your kids very well if you're not good at prayer or if you're rather infrequent at prayer because you don't know the one, the the Lord your God to whom you're trying to point your children. I mean, I would say the, the it's, it's huge. I mean, Deuteronomy 6 is found in Deuteronomy, which is found in the Bible. 
And so, you know, I, I think I, I hear a lot of people talk about, um, and I think they're meaning well, but they call us to prayer or they call us to a meditation or they call us to a deep spiritual life. And you guys are too focused on the Bible. You're not really spending time engaging God. And I really think a lot of false dichotomies are created yeah. that are at best foolish and at worst dangerous and maybe even heretical. And so I, I, I won't play the game. And the more and more I hear people just really kind of out of the part of their mouth, kind of not appreciating at best and belittling at worst the word of God, undervaluing right. it, I think it's huge. And so to know the word of God is, oh, yeah. is, to, is to know God and that prayer comes from a natural understanding. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't want Debbie. I just want ideas of Debbie. Well, but you don't know her. But that's, I'll tell you, Andrea will sometimes tease me that my ideas of her really avoid me actually dealing with her because I go inside my head and I think about who I want her to be or who I remember her to be. And she's like, I don't feel like you really love me. You look at that picture of me, which is not the same as me. Yeah. And you really need to know me. And I, I think we are can easily settle for even ideas about God instead of engaging the word, mm -hmm. which is always true and it is inerrant and infallible. Um, and so I, I'm becoming, as I get older, increasingly convinced that without a devotion to the Word of God, mm -hmm. um, and a focusing on the Word of God, I end up loving some other version of God other than the reality of who He is. Yeah. I, I enjoy a somewhat spontaneous prayer life, but personally, my richest prayers are found in my time studying through the Psalms. Yes. I appreciate your help with this gentleman. I pray that this will be of value to whoever sees it. And just know that um, we are always available to continue this conversation. This is more of a primer than a, than a period here. So we love you guys, and we will see you next time.